Good night and welcome again to this podcast, What's the Truth? My name is Timmy Braun. I'm the pastor of Grace Bible Community Church here in Spanish Lookout. This podcast, the purpose of this podcast is to bring out the truth and that's why we have the title, What's the Truth? Uh, there are many competing voices out today for truth and as long as it's truth without a mixture of falsehoods that's good and that's fine but there is also a lot of false teachings out there and and even things that are true but then there's false teachings included that is bad that is destructive uh, Jesus talked about leaven leavening the whole lump and he was talking about the false teachings of the Pharisees. If that came in together with the gospel, that would creep in and take over everything. Not in the sense that Satan can destroy God. Not in the sense that Satan can win against believers. But it messes with things and makes Christians ineffective when there is false teachings. So, what's the truth? That is our goal, to look at what is the truth in everything. So, today I had on the title, or what this live stream is about, I had Biblical Exegesis and Hermeneutics. Now those words are big and I won't be using them a lot, but that is the... Uh, words that are used to describe what I want to talk about but what I want to talk about is simple it's quite simplistic and it's not it's not just all big words that you won't understand uh, if if I would ask you how do you explain the Bible or how do you get what is the truth from the Bible or how do you know when someone tells you something and says this is the truth or says this will happen or even says this will happen within 10 years because I've heard such statements how do you know if that is the truth and how can you figure out if the way that that they are describing biblical things if that is actually true or if they are not correctly interpreting the Bible so I want to talk about that a little bit today and show you from the Bible how to interpret the Bible. So, um, to do that, we will look at some scriptures, but I like to, when I have other things that I want to mention or talk about I sometimes like to do that at, at the start I don't think I have any specific questions that I got just now or that I have gotten now for this live stream and that's fine but again if if you have any questions you can go to gbcc.bz or .bz slash ask or if you go to gbcc.bz, just click on the live stream link and there's a form you can ask a question and I'll do my best to try to answer any questions that you have. If I don't, you can, you can send the question now if you want. Um, if I don't 
know the answer to it or if it's a big question then I might uh, uh, try to answer it next week but if it's something simple then I would try to do it today so go to gbcc.bz slash ask and send me your question Uh, another thing that I've been thinking of lately, before I go more into uh, how do we look for the truth in the Bible, how do we look um, into the Bible for truth and find the truth, um, is food shortages. Um, now, I'm not going to go into that, into a lot of conspiracy theories, but if you see anything in the news or even if you go to your stores and you see things are missing uh, there's there's a reason for that now and and again this is not the um, how should I say it? this is not a replacement for the gospel to talk about things that are happening in society but the reason why I want to talk about things that are happening in society is to show that there is a biblical reason for everything and also that there is a biblical solution for everything. And let me just say that um, just over the last six months there have been many big food factories throughout the world that have been destroyed. Now, they may still be built up again, they may continue to operate sometimes, but this big food chain, how we get our stuff, the imp all the imported stuff from the U.S. and from other countries, it's a long chain. And so when something happens, we don't see it immediately, but we see it within a few months. And by that, by that time, a lot of people will disconnect why it is happening. But... There is a plan, the, you sometimes call them the global elites, but they have a plan to cut off food. They have a plan to get the world to bow down to their system, and to do that they have to bring them to the end of themselves. If you can't provide for yourself and, and um, there's a, food shortages and people are hungry and there's no food, the people are going to beg the government to give them something. And that's what the government wants. And I'm not just talking about our government. They want power. But this is much bigger. This is a global thing. The, there's global elites. That is true. They're ruled by Satan. And they're trying to create a crisis so that they can control this world. To, to get into a one world global government. That is what they want that is their plan but here's the thing for the believer we have all the promises of God Jesus said to his disciples um, my peace I, I leave with you not as the world giveth give I unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid he said I give you peace uh, he also said I'll I will be with you to the end of the world he's not saying I will be with you except a famine or or terrible times come, then I won't be with you anymore. He said, I will be with you. And so God doesn't forget us, and God doesn't wring his hands and doesn't know how he's going to feed us. The Bible talks specifically about that in Matthew 6, where it says God feeds a sparrow day by day. They don't even uh, put anything in barns, and yet they have food to eat. 
And so the reason why I'm putting this out there is as a warning that food shortages are coming unless if God somehow um, it's not his will and he stops it and he uh, yeah doesn't let their plan go through. Um, if it's this year or within or next year, I'm not sure, but within a few years, I'm quite convinced there will be a massive crisis and food shortages and so on, because that's what they want. This COVID thing was a plan, and they are still are planning. They still are planning how to get everyone into a one-world government where people will be bowing down to the beast. They will be bowing down to the beast. And so you got to make sure where your allegiance is. If Where you come to the place where you say that I'm going to follow the Lord regardless of what happens, regardless of if I'm killed, if I go hungry, I'm going to serve the Lord because He will take care of me. And He will. He will. If you're a believer and you come to Christ, you believe in Him, He will take care of you that's his promise so that's i want that to be an encouragement uh, that come to christ make sure you have your peace in him and he will take care of you now also think uh, think and do common sense things if if you have a way to uh, grow your some of your own food and so on that'd be great do that that'd be a great idea uh, be ready as good as you can but then trust God. Don't trust in human things um, because humans will fail us, but God will never fail us. So, I want to go into the idea of exposition and exegesis, which is how to uh, bring light to God's Word and how to bring it out in light, um, how to look at the Scriptures to uh, see what is there. And I'll give you some examples and uh, hopefully give you an idea. I, I, I'm not the authority of this. God is and His Word is. But knowing, as Second Timothy 3 16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, then we know that everything that the scripture says is true and God is not a liar. So let me share this um, scripture tab with you here. Second <clears throat> Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works all scripture is given by inspiration of God profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness so what is all scripture? It is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some will argue about that and that's fine. It's it's not right. Uh, there are sometimes people who will say, well, we'll just agree to disagree. 
Uh, I don't think that is necessarily always a good um, saying to say because we shouldn't act in such a way as if it's okay when someone is wrong or um, yes, in a sense, yes, God has to bring them the truth, right? God has to reveal the truth to them and so on. But to just say, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can be right and I can be right and we are just both right. Even though we believe opposite things, but we're both right. That doesn't work. If if I say that that the Bible is true when it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and someone else says that, well, um, yes, but I don't think the prophets are inspired by God or I don't think the Psalms are or even I don't think the New Testament is or I don't think the books of Paul are or the book of James and so on. There's people who will say that. Well, then you're now uh, saying that some of the Bible is a lie and God wasn't able to give us the truth and now you're the arbiter of what is true. Now you're the one who can say what is true and what is false. And that's not true. God, Only God can say that and we have to put our trust in Him. Uh, so all scripture given by inspiration of God or in other words it's breathed that's what the word there is in the Greek it's breathed all scriptures breathed out by God he has given it now I want to give you some more examples in the scripture um, let me just go through a few more in Second Timothy Second Timothy 2. Uh, th- these are not the examples, but these are what Paul was writing to Timothy. And, and he was saying, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So, study to show yourself approved unto God. Is God going to say, well, uh, you haven't proven yourself and you um, haven't studied enough so now you're an unbeliever and, uh, and you'll go to hell? No, studying is not to bring us to heaven. There is no works that can bring a person to heaven. Study to show thyself approved unto God is saying... Um, the, the way Paul said in Timothy, he said to Timothy, preach, be ready to preach in season, out of season. But why? Because Timothy was a preacher and he was set up um, by God to be a preacher. And so when he talks to him, he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. This was directly written to Timothy, even though this word is for us today as well. But we need to understand it in the original intent. Why was it written? Well, because Timothy was called of God to be a preacher. Now, does that then now not apply to all those who are not preachers? No, I think it applies to them as well. As far as bringing out the word goes. If you want to bring the word of God to someone. And if you're a believer you should. As far as the gospel goes. You should share the gospel with others. And if you do that. You need to do it right. You need to understand it right. And so 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Do it so that you don't need to be ashamed when you find out that you got everything out of context and wrong and then rightly dividing the word of truth. It needs to be divided because, or in other words, um, put out right. For example, the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, uh, let's, let's back up, the Old Covenant was for Israel. If we now go and read the Old Covenant and read about the cleansing that was required to eat and um, which animals you could eat and so on and so on, the circumcision. And I now would tell someone you need to do this. Well, then I'm not rightly dividing the word of God because Hebrews says that those things were a sign and those things were pointing to something, but they were in the old covenant and we are no longer in the old covenant. We are in the new covenant. So, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is the word of truth? It's God's word. But shun, stay away from profane and vain babblings. See, if you talk with people on the streets or somewhere, and, and they will talk about who God is, and they'll talk and talk and talk. I've had that sometimes. It says here, they will increase unto more ungodliness. It is profane and vain babblings. You know, you can think up all kinds of things about God, but if it's not from the scripture, you're not studying the word of truth. You're studying some imagination, not the word of truth. So that's Second Timothy 2.15 and then in, in chapter 3, we have all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And then chapter 4, the second Tim, the book of Second Timothy tells Timothy a lot about preaching the truth. Second Timothy 4, verse 1 and 2 says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I charge thee, or I uh, exhort. I, it's, it's a little bit different than commanding, but it's like giving him a responsibility. Here, this is what you need to do. Preach the word, be instant or be ready, in season, out of season, Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So, reprove is someone who has something wrong to correct him by giving him the truth. Rebuke is more specifically when someone is wrong about something to rebuke them and tell them, You're wrong, you need to get right. Uh, exhort is to encourage or to add to what someone already knows by teaching them the truth, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Again, what, is, what was the intent of this scripture? It was written to Timothy. Timothy was called to preach. And so it was given to him to encourage him. Now, it's given to us as well if we use it correctly. But this doesn't say that 
um, this is not a generic thing that unbelievers should go preach the word or that women should go preach the word. Now, I believe sharing the gospel is, is every believer's job and duty, but in a right sense, in, a, in the correct place, the woman's place is not the same as the man's place. And so I'm, I'm saying that again because I'm showing you what is exposition. Uh, th there's some examples used sometimes, like, like how do you get something correctly from the scriptures? There, there are some examples used sometimes, for example, if you take a verse like, Jesus wept. Okay, well now we've taken a verse. Now, I could bring a whole message about weeping and about what it does when the tears flow and how it affects your emotions and so on and so on. But how would that be bringing out the truth of God's Word? You see, that Jesus wept shows us something about Christ's humanity and that He had feelings like as we have. We know that. We know the Bible teaches that. But if we want to go beyond that, to bring out all kinds of things that the Bible doesn't say, then we're now becoming unfaithful to the text. And we've got to be very careful that we're faithful with what the Word of God says. Um, the word hermeneutics is about how to interpret the Scripture. There are some different ideas, and the one I believe is correct is generally... You read the scriptures and it, the literally what it says, the plain meaning of the text, it is what is the truth. Now, you got to make sure that it's in context. You got to make sure that you have the terms right. And you got to make sure that it matches with the rest of scripture. If you read a verse and it sounds like it says that God is lying... For example, Jesus said to his disciples when they said, we're going up to the feast and you're going to come with us. And he said, I'm not going up now, you can go. And then it says a bit later, he also went to the feast. Was he lying to them now? We, If you want to just, uh, if for some reason you come up with, you think Jesus can lie or he did lie, you would take a passage like that and say he lied. But that is wrong interpretation. If you take it in context and with the rest of the scriptures and you find out that Jesus is God, he's literally God, he is God and man, God cannot lie, Jesus never sinned, and you have to come to the conclusion that Jesus did not lie. And actually, if you look at that text, he says, I'm not going up now. He, he plainly said that. I'm not going up now. So, I'm using that example because some will say that, oh yeah, this is what it is. But if you look at other scriptures, then you have to figure out that, no, that's not true. Jesus cannot lie. So, what was it then? Um... Some will interpret the Bible as allegory. For example, they will say that the 
creation, God created the earth in six days, that's just an allegory. And really it was millions of years, but God had to use an example that we would imagine something. Or they would talk about the flood and say, no, that was not a literal flood, that was, that was something else. Um, God put in a story there because He wanted us to have some enjoyment in reading the Bible, or whatever they will say. Or walking through the Red Sea as on dry land. There's all kinds of explanations why the Israelites did not walk through the Red Sea, but they had some other path where they walked. Now, if you start doing that, you're, you're starting again to become the, your own arbiter of truth. You're again becoming God, your own God in a sense. You're saying, no, God's word is not true. But I will figure out what is true, so I am God. That's really what it is to come up with those things. And then there's even an idea that the Bible is mystical and, and you know, the numbers, you have to find out the numbers in the Hebrew and, and calculate years and you know, go to a lot of mystical things and go into meditation and then figure out what exactly it means. That's not that's not how the Bible teaches it. And not, not only that, but if you look at how the Bible is interpreted by the writers of the Bible, you can actually see how it should be interpreted. If you look in, um, a very good example is where the devil came to Jesus to tempt him in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew 4 from one of the first verses. When Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered or hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what happened here? The devil said, If you're the Son of God, make these stones into bread. You can eat. You're hungry? Well, go ahead and eat. What did Jesus do? He used the scripture. He said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was 100% in context when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone. He says, It is written. He said, This is what the Word of God says. This was quoted from the Old Testament. This was not, Jesus made it up as He went in this case. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was in context. He said, bread is not the most important thing in life. You gotta obey and follow the word of God. Why did he use that scripture? Would it, would it have been wrong to make stones into bread? Uh, I don't think that in itself would be wrong. But if he had made stones into bread... He would have sinned because he did something only for his own flesh. He did not do it for the will of God or the purpose of God. And 
Because Satan can tempt your flesh. He does. He does tempt your flesh. Things that your flesh wants. And so when it is a temptation and it is not something that is right to do just for your flesh, well then it's sin. And Jesus did not sin. He used the scriptures rightly and he said, man shall not live by bread alone. But then look how the devil in the second occasion said, the devil taketh him up into the holy city and sets him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, he again, if he again uses the same idea, if thou be the son of God, that's exactly what he said with the, turning the stone into bread. But then he says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, Satan is using scripture and he says, the scripture says that God will send his angels to watch over you and, and in their hands they will catch you that your, your foot will not even um, hit a stone. They will catch you. Now, what did Jesus say? Again, it is written that Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So, we have two scriptures here used by two different persons. If we want to call Satan a person. He said, Satan said, God himself said, the word of God says, it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against a stone. So what's the problem? If God has explicitly said that he will send his angels to catch you that that you won't hurt yourself then why don't jump down from the temple well because the scripture was used out of context and it was false what satan was bringing out with the scripture was false jesus said it is written again thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So, Jesus again used the scripture in context, but Satan did not. And here's a question. If somebody comes up to you and quotes a scripture to you, will you recognize if it's in context or not? How can you recognize if it's in context or not? Well, first of all, you got to be born again and ha that you have the Spirit of God, that the Spirit will enlighten you about the truth, that you will recognize when there's error. But secondly, you got to study the Scriptures and read the Scriptures in order to know it. When something false comes up, then you know, okay, this is false, this cannot be true. In this place with Satan, the third time again he said, he took him up to a high mountain, and showed him, um, he, he took him up, let's see, which verse are we in again? Verse 8, the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and said unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So again, he, he did 
Satan did not use a scripture here the third time. He only did the second time, then he used scripture. Here he just simply said, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms of the world. Then Jesus said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him. So, Jesus used scripture three times. Let me just show it here one more time. The third time again, Jesus said, Get thee hence, Satan. That was not quoted from scripture. But then, for it is written, It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So, Jesus again used it in context. I just want to show you one more time. In the second occasion where Satan also used scripture, if you read, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, that would mean things like taking serpents that are poisonous and holding them and saying, Well, God will protect me. He's God. Or jumping down from a temple, you know, a high temple and jumping down and, Well, God can protect me. He will send his angels to catch me. Which one is correct now? What Satan said, he shall give his angels charge for you, or thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Which one is correct? Well, both are correct, but not in context. What I'm saying is both scriptures are real scriptures, but they were taken out of context, and that makes it into a lie. In Galatians, Paul is writing to the Galatians and saying that they have accepted another gospel. And then he says that, that the gospel, there are some that pervert the gospel. See, what they do is they don't, they don't make up a new gospel and say that uh, Jesus doesn't exist and Lucifer or Satan came and this is the gospel that Satan came and, and he brought a million dollars so that we all could go to heaven. See, that would be blatant false teachings. And and Satan doesn't do that. He comes as an angel of light. And, and he might in some place where he could use something like that. I'm not saying it's impossible. But to someone who knows a lot about the Bible, Satan won't come up with foolish things like that because he knows he will be seen as foolish. So how does he come as an angel of light? He comes with some truth and he says, yeah, the gospel is that Jesus came and died, was buried and rose again. And you got to believe and you got to get circumcised and you got to go to church. And if you do the circumcision and going to church and you got to do it on, the, on Saturday, then you go to heaven. So what's wrong with that message now? Wasn't the gospel included? Wasn't it included that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that if you believe on him, you'll be saved? See, it was close what I said. You gotta believe on him and you gotta get circumcised and follow the commandments and follow the laws and go to church on Saturday. You see, now you're adding works to salvation and you're perverting the gospel you're making it into falsehood 
because that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. And so I, I wonder if it was Charles Spurgeon. I know someone who said discernment is to know the difference between the truth and almost the truth. And I think that's what it is here too. And I'm bringing this up because I've seen and heard a lot where Scripture is just being used as a wishy-washy thing that we speak about the Scriptures a little bit, but it has no clear meaning. And I believe this Scriptures, the Bible, has a very clear meaning that we need to work to understand. Um, it's important that we work to understand the Scriptures. Now, so I talked a little bit about the different interpretations or different ways of interpreting the Bible. The literal, looking at the literal plain meaning of the text in context, which I believe is right. Not, don't look for all kinds of allegories and secrets in the text. God doesn't uh, um, give us the truth in secrets generally. I mean, in Ephesians it says that, the gospel has been revealed. It has been opened up. It is not hidden, but it is open. It is revealed in plainness. we got to define the terms of the scripture to know what they mean. There is a term in the Bible that, that says dead faith. Dead faith is not the same as saving faith or real faith. In James 2, he writes about the devil also believing and trembling, as in having an awe and a reverence before God, uh, not, not in a godly reverence, but in a fear. With fear and trembling, he believes God and trembles. But the devil is not saved. The devil cannot be saved. The devil believes some of the truth because he knows it to be true. Faith, on the other hand, faith on the Lord Jesus Christ is an acting, believing, surrendering faith. And so to define the terms, what does something actually mean, is very important in rightly understanding and, and interpreting the scriptures. Uh, the context, I already mentioned that earlier, but you can take one verse and say all kinds of things about it. You can take 20 verses from the Bible and still bring out something entirely false. you got to take every verse in context. What was the intent of that verse in its context? What it means is you read in uh, Ephesians 1, and now let me let me use the example with James again. Let's just look at James two verse seventeen. It says, "Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone." Now there are some people who would take that verse and they would take more verses like it 
together and, and then bring a whole message about how works is needed for salvation. To the detriment or false, to actually make the scriptures false. Uh, we'll temporarily open another window on the side here because my tabs are still not figured out. In Romans 4 verse 4 it says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So if you look in James 2, it looks like, well, you got to have faith. you got to have faith and works in order to get to heaven. And in Romans 4 it says, uh, if you have works, then... If salvation is by works, then then it would be your debt. Then God would now be required to give you salvation out of debt if works played any role in it. But if it's grace, then it's not of works. It clearly says that here. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So if we just take one of these verses and then we could make a whole doctrine around it, but it would be false and bad because we're not using both in context. And so context is very important. And Jesus, Jesus is very important. If we look at the story of where... He went to Emmaus after his resurrection. He went to Emmaus with, I think it was two of his disciples. Maybe it wasn't even from the twelve, but it was two disciples. It says that he spoke to them, and he talked to them uh, from Moses and the prophets, and he told them all things about himself. He went through all the scripture from the Old Testament, and he talked, to them about himself. He told them how the scriptures was pointing to himself. Uh, we know many things. The lamb that was put on the altar as a sacrifice, that that was actually pointing to Jesus Christ being the spotless lamb who would one day come and die for his sheep. Uh, and so on. There are many examples in the scripture that were used there were many examples that were used in the Old Covenant that were pointing to Christ. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 2 for a second. And again, if you have questions about the Bible or something else in society, or if, or even if, if you have trouble in your life, you need advice or prayer, feel free to contact me. Um, you can go to that site that is showing on the screen, gbcc.bz slash ask, or send me a text, WhatsApp, whatever, one of all those medias. I'm on a lot of them, most of them, or some of them. So if you want to contact me, 
either to ask a question for this live stream Friday night or or you need something personal feel free to contact me I wanna show in 1st Corinthians 2 what Paul said to the Corinthians he said I brethren when I came to you came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God Paul is saying how he is bringing the word to them it's not cleverly devised stories not cleverly devised fables I've heard those like there are some who will bring a whole message around some story and not even bring much scripture into it and that is cleverly devised stories excellency of speech because that way you're not preaching the word you're preaching some ideas that are not the word and so um, this is not to bash everyone but this is to give you an idea about what is the truth how is the scripture exposited how do we get out from the scripture the truth that is there and it's not with excellency of speech it's not with bringing up smart stories that someone will think you're smart what did he say I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power and then he goes on he speaks about we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yeah the deep things of God for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teach but which the Holy Ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he that is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is judge of no man for who has known the mind of the Lord and that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ now there's a lot in this chapter he's uh, here towards the end Paul is saying that 
what we speak is not man's word, it's not man's wisdom, but it's the Holy Spirit that is has taught us these things and we're teaching these things. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual things and a spiritual person will understand. Uh, the scripture, the Bible says in another place that, um, well it says here in verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Um, the same idea was just in my mind from another passage, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. That's the truth. And so there can be lots of talk, but talk is cheap, is sometimes said. The question is, how can the Bible be rightly interpreted? And the answer is, the Spirit of God has to give you understanding. And um, in 1 John 2.19, it says about the false teachers, it says they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have remained with us. It's a testimony to how God teaches the truth to his children and that they have a unity in Christ that nobody else gave them except God and the false teachers eventually leave not because of some other thing but because they're not of us and God makes it clear that they're not his children so there are false teachers who can be together with believers for a while, but then eventually they leave because God makes it clear that, that it's not one of them. It's not one of his children. And so yet the disciples, when, um, when there was some questionable people, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and Jesus said they don't understand what they're talking about. Uh, I did not, and then he said, I did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save. And I'm saying that because in an, another scripture, um, they said, well, w the owner of the garden or the owner of the vineyard would just send someone to pull out all the tears all the ones that is not wheat to pull them out and Jesus said no because if they pull those out they will also pull out the real wheat and so it needs to grow together until the last day and then God will separate them and so sometimes there may be false teachers among us but God says they will grow together until the last day and he will end them now that is not to say that we should tolerate false teaching when it's there. But sometimes there are false teachers who are so crafty that they can keep it quite hidden. And we are not their judges. God is. God will judge them. Uh, though the Bible does say that believers are to judge believers. Believers are to judge those that are within the church. And speaking in the context of if someone is wrong or they're doing something wrong, they should be judged in in the sense that 
believers recognize and tell them when they are wrong. So, that is a kind of an overview. There is a whole lot more that we could go into with how it works to get the truth out of Scripture. But I wanted to bring a little overview and encourage you to read the Bible, study and pray so that when false teachings come that you don't fall for them. When false teachings come that there's a red flag in your mind. Even sometimes you won't necessarily know why something is wrong right away, but you just know it's wrong. You just know this is wrong and and sometimes God will take a while till he will show you why it was wrong. But you know this doesn't sound right because you know what the scripture says and teaches. And so that's the goal for me today is to bring you just some ideas about how to look at scripture. Um, and not be like Satan, taking the scripture out of context. But actually bringing it in context and be pleasing to God in doing that. So, again, my name is Timmy Braun. Uh, I have a um, site there on the screen, gbcc.bz slash ask. If you have a question, feel free to ask. Uh, we have church on Sunday, Grace Bible Community Church. We meet at Valley Printing Center in the meeting section. 9 a.m. we have Plotich. And 10 a.m. we have English. If you come a little early before 10 a.m., we have coffee there as well. And so you're free to come. You're welcome to come. Um, our goal is and our vision, our goal, our purpose really is to preach the word and be here to feed the sheep. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's all that needs to be said right now. And so uh, if you'd like to come, just come on, just show up. Sunday, 9 a.m., we have Plotich, and 10 a.m. is English, Valley Printing Center meeting section. And if you need further information, you can go to gbcc.bz, and you can find some information there. If you have any other questions, there's a contact uh, page. Uh, there's a live stream page. You can send a question from any of those places, the information that is there, if you would like more information. So um, until next time, God bless, and we'll see you again, Lord willing.